Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 257th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast, which is now but one of four podcasts that comprise the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network, the others being It Happened in Hollywood, Behind the Screen, and TV's Top 5. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and this episode is presented by Walt Disney Pictures' Mary Poppins Returns, which is nominated for four Golden Globe Awards, including Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy, Emily Blunt, Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Best Picture Musical or Comedy. Mary Poppins Returns, for your consideration. My guest today is an actor who just turned 22, but already has starred in four films that were nominated for the Best Picture Oscar. 2014's The Grand Budapest Hotel, 2016's Manchester by the Sea, and 2017's Lady Bird, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And he also starred in three of the most acclaimed films of 2018. He played a key supporting part in actor-director Jonah Hill's skateboard world dramedy Mid-90s, and he was the male lead in actor-director Joel Edgerton's gay conversion therapy drama Boy Erased, for which he has been nominated for a Best Actor in a Drama Golden Globe Award, and in Ben is Back, a drama about a young man grappling with addiction, which was written and directed by his Oscar-nominated father, Peter. I'm talking, of course, about Lucas Hedges. Hedges first won widespread notice for his work alongside Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea, which was written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan. Affleck and Lonergan won Oscars for their contributions to the film. And as for Hedges... In addition to being nominated for the Best Supporting Actor SAG, Critics' Choice, Spirit, and Gotham Awards, and for the Best Breakthrough Performer BAFTA Award, and winning the Best Breakthrough Performer National Board of Review Award and the Critics' Choice Award for Best Young Performer, he was nominated for the Best Supporting Actor Oscar, becoming the first actor, age 25 or under, to receive an acting Oscar nomination since Brokeback Mountain's Jake Gyllenhaal 11 years earlier, and simultaneously joining Dev Patel as the first male acting nominees who were born in the 1990s. Ever since, Hedges has been one of the most in-demand actors out there, not only for films, but also for theater. Indeed, he was nominated for the Best Actor in a Play Lucille Lartel Award for his work in the 2017 off-Broadway production of Yen, and he is now starring on Broadway, opposite the legendary Elaine May, in a widely acclaimed revival of Lonergan's play, The Waverly Gallery. Over the course of our conversation at the Westin, New York, at Times Square, shortly before a Saturday matinee of The Waverly Gallery, Hedges and I discussed all of the above, plus much more, including what it was like growing up in a family of artists, why he constantly battles self-doubt about his own artistry, 
how he came to be championed by the super producer Scott Rudin, and why it is that he has so often wound up working with actor-directors. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. All right, Lucas, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We, we always begin with just a few basics. Where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living? You have maybe a more interesting answer than others. <laughs> yeah, well, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. My mother was an actress, a theater actress, actually, for mm-hmm. a long time. And uh, my dad was a, tried to be an actor, then became a playwright, and then became a novelist, and then became a filmmaker. Yes. And when you say that, somebody might jump to the assumption like, oh, okay, you know, somebody's parent is in the profession, that's how they got in. In fact, I just want to take immediately right off the bat, establish, yes, your film ro- first film appearance yeah. was in your dad's film, Dan in Real Life. Yeah. But that's not really, that's not like that was the beginning because there were another five years before you really got into this. So can you explain how this actually started? Yeah. Well, my dad, I grew up going on to my dad's sets and I've always felt like the most magical thing in the world for me was film, was the idea of it. And like, he was always showing me movies and so it, it seemed like a dream and the people who I was always most amazed by were actors, but it didn't, I don't know. In in actuality, I never, even though it was so real, like before my eyes, I never actually thought about doing it yeah. until uh, I did I did all the school plays and then a casting director saw me in one of them and I ended up auditioning for Moonrise Kingdom. Yes. And then I got that and then I was like, I want to be all over IMDb. <laughs> I was like, that was, I just remember like, it's so funny because I'm wearing a turtleneck right now, but yes. I remember thinking... All I want is to have like a photo with me and a group of people at Sundance where I wear a turtle, like a, a wintry looking turtleneck, and like we look like we're friends in like some sort of like booth of some kind. And that's happened. And it's happened. Um, and no, but it, it's just interesting that the what I really, the beginning of my career, and still at times today, I can't shake like this idea of it, but. I just wanted to be a part of that world. It wasn't even the artistry of it. Right. It was like I just wanted to be seen with the cool kids, you know. Well, partly I would imagine because it sounds like from things I've read, just in the home growing up, you would have all these actors and people coming in and out who was it just you got the sense that this is a the kind of vibe I like in I'd like to have in my life or I like that they are the way that they're kind of yeah. seen by others. What would you, how would you pinpoint the appeal? I would say that I'm a kid, like I think most kids who grew up, I spent a lot of my time in my head and my imagination and in fantasies. And the only place I knew of that actually offered like a way for me to not only, l- like I could live in two fantasies at once. I could live in the fantasy world of being an, a- and an actor and I could live in the fantasies in the worlds of the movies. Yes. So it felt like the biggest win-win in the world. And I always, whenever I saw actors, I, I just felt like they were either chosen or had claimed lives for themselves that I saw as being like, like when I saw Super 8, when I was like, that was the, f- that movie really made me want to be an actor because it felt like not only did I want to be giving those performances, but I also wanted I just wanted to be in the 80s doing a monster movie like with <laughs> like sci-fi. Right. It fed a part of me that really never felt satisfied mm-hmm. living in reality. 
So just to go backwards for a second, in school plays, I had read that you were actually not totally enjoying yourself. It was, a, you know, like probably a lot of kids, there were elements of stage fright and other things. So, yeah, the idea of acting was cool. But when you were actually doing it, were you enjoying it? I was always overcome by fear and stage fright. And my favorite moment was always right when I walked off stage. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what that means. I don't know why I kept seeking it out, but I know that I had some sort of insane amount of fear and that was really what made it unenjoyable. That having been said, I took sketch comedy or like improv classes and when I was in like fifth and sixth grade and mm -hmm. those were a blast. Yeah. I, it was, that was just pure fun. I would think in some ways that's more stressful because you have to now come up with your own material. Yeah, yeah I, th I don't I think it was just, it's all a reflection of the environment I feel I'm in. So if I'm in an environment in which there are zero stakes and it's just like friends messing around, I mean, I don't get nervous. But if my life is on the line, which is for some reason how I feel when I act, I mean, it's how I feel when I act today. Yeah. For the viewers out there, me and Scott were talking about Glenda Jackson before yes. I came on and talking about how she won two Oscars and then just disappeared. And a part of me was like, wow, like I feel right now so much like a prisoner to the to the parts of me that just want to be received well by mm -hmm, the world mm -hmm. and uh, i just i really admire the hell out of somebody who can just like leave and yeah. and, and live their life and yeah I, i'm constantly dealing with okay why why am i why am i doing this you know what do i want to get out of this interesting well just to give props to the person who we have to thank for for you being here today i guess who was this casting director and and what happened when, oh yeah yeah that's doug abel well, actually, the first, well, it wasn't, Doug's the first guy who gave me my first job, and Doug cast Manchester, too, actually. Okay, okay. But the first movie I ever auditioned for was a movie called Extremely Loud and Incredibly yeah, Close, yeah. and I, it came down between me and the boy yeah. who got it, and it was like a week-long callback period. But that even itself came about because somebody because came and saw you play, in play. Yeah. So who was it It was that... It was this girl named Romilly in the grade beneath me's mother, who I think used to be a casting got director. It. And I think because St. Anne, the high school I went to, is like every celebrity in New York sends their kid there. <laughs> so, like, if you go to a middle school play, right. it's like Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal, right. Peter Sarsgaard. <laughs> like, it's like, it's odd. It feels right. like an event of some kind. Did you have, who was in your class? I, Jennifer Connolly, Paul Bettany. Um, well, but they're older. Oh, they're a lot as in they're the they parents. went there. Right, right. They were the was parents. there anybody? Well, you've been a, you're a little ahead of the curve. You made it younger than most people. So they they're as anybody, oh any other yeah from well, your year. I mean. Yeah, the, the girl in the gray beneath me, Maya Hawk, who's okay. yeah, yeah, daughter, yeah, and she's, she's in Stranger Things and soon to be in a million things. Yeah, this kid who's a freshman when I was a senior is a brilliant, brilliant boy named Fred Heshinger. Okay, who just got one of the leads in um, the new Joe Wright film, Lady in the Window. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays opposite. Amy Adams and I don't know I think that might be it right now I'm sure there will be more and more but the, from my generation I think that was sure and yeah. that was so the mother of the girl the grade beneath you yeah. is the one-time casting director sees you yeah. in what Nicholas Nickleby Nicholas played Nickleby. Smike okay um, this is I, seventh grade yeah okay and it was I remember I had this whole monologue about how no one loved me and, and I would just sit backstage trying to like think of sad things that would make me cry. And, and for whatever reason, I was like really good at, at doing that. Like I could, I was able to, to make myself cry and yeah. it was like, nobody 
had seen a seventh grader do that right. in like a play. So it was it was exciting for yeah. the people to be like, oh, there's a little boy and he's crying <laughs> and he must be good. And I don't mean to say this to congratulate me because I think that like particular ability has gotten me into trouble as an as an actor moving forward. The idea that like Oh, cry! You cry, and that means good. Like you're good. Right. When, in reality, it's like, I think it's very dangerous to rely on your emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like I'm talking. No, no, no. It's very right interesting. Okay. So, so from her seeing you, I got a. I was in puppetry class, and I got a call <laughs> from my mom, or the puppetry teacher was like, "Your mom's on the line." And I went outside, and the phone was outside the door, and I, my mom said I had an audition, and. So I got really excited, and I went in an audition for this casting director, Mele Nagler. Mm-hmm. And I, the next day, heard back. I, I was went in and read with Stephen Daldry, the director. Or extremely loud and incredibly close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the day after that, and then I went. I was thrust into this like week long audition callback process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get the part. Was but, that crushing? Did you think that was your one shot? Well, I remember being overcome with fear about it, and then being terrified that I would get it. And then when I didn't get it, like going up to my bathroom and looking in the mirror and just crying. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. It's like, you ever have, I don't know if you've ever, I don't mean to get too personal, but sometimes in my darkest moments in my childhood, I would cry and look at myself (laughs) in the mirror. Um, (laughs) But I met Scott Rudin, who gave me this part in the Waverly Gallery. And who's, I did Lady Bird. And I was going to say, he's been a big champion. Yeah. And even the, I did The Corrections, which mm-hmm. was an HBO pilot that never got picked up of Noah Baumbach's. Yeah. But it began the longest, most important professional relationship I've had in my career. And, and Moonrise, he got, hooked me up with Moonrise. Well, so before, because, yeah, I guess Moonrise Kingdom would be the first thing that did go that you were yeah. a part of in the in movies that where it was beyond that early part as an extra in your dad's movie. But I want to ask you about Rudin because he's probably the most influential person in film TV and theater who your average person at home has not heard of. Yeah. And I wonder if you can explain from now having gotten to know and work with him, just can you pinpoint what makes him so special? Yeah. Well, I think the thing that's, I honestly, it's hard to even describe, but I think with respect to theater, Mm -hmm. Scott's sort of like a freelance artistic director Mm -hmm. in that he has an idea he can get it done. He can. He has all the resources. Nobody doubts him because or, or screws with nobody's <laughs> going to doubt doubt him because right. of his track record. Right. I think he has just really great taste mm-hmm. and a passion for his work mm-hmm. that is simply unparalleled. Like yeah. everybody I speak to who works with him says that he. I watched this interview with Chris Rock that says Scott Rudin. He said, Scott Rudin got me to function at a rate that I've never, I, I'd never thought was possible. He mm-hmm. pushed me to a place that I, I didn't think was possible. And it's because he, he really lives for what he does. Yeah. And he surrounds himself by people who feel the same. And, and when those people come together, it's really a crucible for, I guess, really great art. I don't know. So when he was at that audition for Extremely Loud, you didn't get it, but did he make a point of saying to you, look, I really... Yeah, well, he, he's, he then like hooked me up with a bunch of theater tickets and, <laughs> and sort of... I really felt like he took me under his wing in a way and was like, whenever I came in and auditioned with him, he, he was there and was so supportive. And even like one time he... um let me sit in on a like a business meeting of of his that he was in development for some project mm-hmm. 
and I got to sit in and just listen to them riff creatively. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like whenever he was working on something and there was a part for me, he was very generous mm -hmm. and, and was really like believed in me. Yeah. And to have his support at that age, I was like, I don't know. I felt, I really felt like I was something. And so th that age would have been, let's, let's do the math. You were born in which year again? 96. 96. And Moonrise came out in 2012. But so that we filmed that in 2010. Even. So you were like 14, 15. I was, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. And now for the first time having a, semi-substantial part in a movie like something to do yeah. as opposed to a small bit part what was that experience like because i think people sometimes forget that screen acting is such a different beast than theater acting i think i don't know maybe you can maybe you don't feel that way yeah i think what was tricky about the first few projects for me is i really got really scared on camera and i started to feel like what's dangerous about fantasies is that when they don't go as I want them to go, mm -hmm. they become kind of nightmares mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like with film that I was so excited to get these projects and then that I would I was somehow disappointing the people I was working with. And then it was like, it was as if I had been given access to like go to Hogwarts, but all the people that I dreamed of getting to spend my time with wanted nothing to do with me. Which in your mind. In my mind, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't like Wes Anderson was like, <laughs> get, get out, out of here, kid. <laughs> like, I'll never, like, what are you doing? Like, I, n I really wasn't treated that way. But like right. I said, you know, I grew up a lot of my time in my head. So most of this stuff I experience in isolation. But what happened is I kept having that experience, and which is what sent me back into the theater because I felt like, if you're ever going to figure out how to act, it's going to be there. Right. But you're talking like in the last two years coming back to the Yeah, theater. but I did, I did, I went to this theater program. That was what sent me to this theater program when okay. I was a junior in high school, which is what sent me to college for theater. Yes. And then I was just like, I need to study. I need to f actually figure this out. This can't, I can't just like <laughs> show up on set and like hope my like life turns into a fairy tale, you know? <laughs> well, so yeah, so I guess that would have somewhat overlapped that theater program and, and maybe the beginning of college with the first, maybe it didn't overlap with the first few films. First, Wes Anderson, Moonrise Kingdom, then Jason Reitman, Labor Day, then Wes Anderson again, Grand Budapest Hotel. But that was all probably before you were done even with high school, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was. I did Manchester when I was a senior in Still high school. Still in high school? Yeah, oh, so. my gosh. Okay. But wait, so it wasn't a confidence booster for you to know that whatever you did in Moonrise Kingdom was enough for Wes Anderson to invite you back? That was definitely a confidence okay. booster. And to this day makes me really happy that he feels like I belong in that world. Mm -hmm. It's like, it makes me really happy. So you went off to the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. You're saying the main driving reason was to hone your theater yeah, acting. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to feel like when the opportunity came again, if I got another opportunity to like be in a, a project I really cared about, that I would just crush. I just wanted to crush it. Yeah. I wanted to be like, yes. <laughs> and the other reason was I felt like I could experience the kind of playfulness that I experienced in those early like comedy classes. That yeah. if I if I went, so, so it was a mixture of I want to actually reconnect to the effortlessness that I have experienced before and work on some kind of craft. So what was it that made you decide after one year that you're out of there? Well, it didn't go as I had hoped. I didn't, the teachers were very hard on me and rightfully so. 
I found myself really despairing a lot. God, I really know how to like paint the portrait of my life. So much despair. Um, and it was confusing because Manchester came out halfway through the year, which is in the very middle of my biggest sort of feeling of, wow, okay, all these teachers are right. I really don't know what I'm doing. And then the world all told me otherwise. Right. That must and be I confusing. was it was really confusing, yeah. and I and I felt like I couldn't trust the world, and I, I gave school another shot, and I really wanted was planning on going back, but then I had Greta was at Sundance and saw Manchester, and I had a meeting with her during my spring break, her freshman year, and she told me I could be in Lady Bird, and <laughs> I was going to do Lady Bird during the summer, but then it got pushed, and I just couldn't miss up on the opportunity to be in that movie. It was just like, Saoirse Ronan yeah. occupied that. Again, going back to this sort of like otherworldly feeling. Yeah. Like when I saw Lovely Bones or mm. really any movie of hers growing up, it was like, who is that girl? Right. And then to get to go to high school, be in high school with her and be her temporary boyfriend. <laughs> it's just too, it was like, I couldn't miss out on that. Right. So right. I decided not to go back to school. And then I've been working since absolutely well let's jump backwards for a minute though because the big breakout thing obviously was manchester by the sea but it could have been interstellar oh well oh my god i mean i i suppose it could have been but i don't think i was on their radar at all well like, i auditioned you auditioned for which part tape. i think it was like i i don't think it could have been any part other than timothy's part right. but i don't i don't and did you two know each other at that no. point well what's really funny is that I remember once I was going to do a reading of a Jonathan Demme movie and I was really excited about it. But then when I read the script, the character had to sing and I was like, "Uh, uh-uh, <laughs> I'm not doing this. And I backed out. Right. And then it was early enough in my career that I was like, I still wanted to know who was doing it. And I was friends with the casting director who set it up and he was like, oh, it's this amazing actor. Nobody really knows who he is yet, but Timothy Chalamet. And I, I was like 14 or right. something. What was the movie? And it was the beginning. It, it never ended okay, up happening. Okay. But it was the beginning of my understanding of, the, of, of him, yeah. Timothy. And um, just to remind people, so he ends up getting the part that you read for for Interstellar, which was this McConaughey's son. Yeah. But you then beat him out for Manchester, Finally, right. and then you both wind up in Lady Bird. So it's kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah. But opposite ends of the of the coin. Yes. Um, yeah. Timothy is not to be stopped. I think from this <laughs> from this point on. Um, I really want to get an opportunity to act with I was going to say, yeah. we got. I, I think, though, I you really, guys would, the internet would crash if you guys I did that so. together. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really but, love that. But let's come to what you said, I think, was your senior year of high school when you did yeah. Manchester. What led up to that? How did you and Lonergan first meet, and yeah. how did you hear about it? Well, I just was sent in a breakdown to audition, and... I saw Michelle Williams, Casey Affleck, and I was like, boom, like <laughs> indie, this is going to be cool, indie, hip, like ain't them body saints. <laughs> like, I was like, I watched that trailer so many times. I was like, I'm going to be an ain't them body saints. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is going to be cool. Right. I read the script. Lo- I love, I mean, just love the script so right. much. Um, and I uh, met with Kenny and... It went well. Our first. Well, was that intimidating though? I mean, this guy is considered one of the great. I didn't know who he was. Didn't know, but I heard a fun fact. Oh, but I do. I had met him when I was like a child, because like through, when I was a baby. Apparently, through dad writer, yeah, through my dad, yeah. yeah. And he knew my dad. And there's actually 
a really great photo of my dad and Kenny at the premiere for my dad's movie Pieces of April. Oh, that's talking. cool. That's cool. I met him and I mean, I knew this is our youth. I didn't, I wasn't really, I hadn't seen any of his movies and we had one audition and he brought me back. We did another, it sort of got better and better. And again, Doug Abel's casting, who's my guy. And we ended up doing like the third audition or fourth audition, I think was with Casey. Okay. And I was just so excited about that. Yeah. Oh my God. So excited. Anybody saints. Yeah. And I, exactly. <laughs> and I just thought I killed it too. I was like, I'm getting this part. And then I didn't hear from them for like a month. And then I found out they wanted me to do one more and they took me out to the production offices and I met with the cast and I read with them all. And, and then on the way home, Kenny was on the same train back and he seemed to be avoiding me. So I was like, <laughs> oh man, I don't think this is going to work. Right. Then he told me on the train that I got it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Man, it was a great moment. And we went on to make Ain't Them Bodies. Yes. Sure enough. <laughs> Another sequel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the reboot. <laughs> did he ever tell you why he decided to go with you? Yeah, he did. It wasn't because, I mean, I think he had, there's, it's very different. The character's very different on the page than me. But he told me that he chose the person who he would like to spend the most time with in a cinematic way. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think he was like, but he was like, who would I most want to see in a, yeah. in this movie? And it was me. So even so. though, as, as you've said, not a ton of resemblance physically between no, you and Casey. No, the char- oh, yeah, definitely not. Right. And the character, I think, is more of a working class, yeah. like North Shore, like fisherman right. kid, you know, who plays hockey. But, you know, Kenny comes from the theater, and I don't think he's... He's not one of the, he's not like Andrea Arnold. He's not going to like go out and find some person on like the, the street and right. be like, you're the lead of right. my next movie. Like, it's, he, he really believes in actors. Right. So. What, once you got working with him, were you able to figure out kind of makes him different from other people? Because I guess it starts with the writing, but then also, I guess as a director, his process is kind of unusual. So yeah. especially though with the writing, because you've now we can preview what we're going to eventually come to, but you're now back with him with yeah. on Broadway in the Waverly Gallery. I'm back, baby. I'm back. back. That's another return invite. That's got to be another yeah, confidence man. booster. But <laughs> writing and directing, what makes him different? Part of the reason why I think we were such a perfect fit for Manchester is I was an actor who really didn't know what I was doing. And he is... He resembled more of an acting coach to mm-hmm. me than a director when we were making that movie. And that when I'm in acting class and a, and I do a scene and the teacher stops me and says, okay, let's start again, but focus on this or try to get this. Mm-hmm. They phrase it in terms that are playable. You know, it's not, it's not, okay, can you do it again, but be a little more angry or be a little more sad, which is what you get with most directors. Mm-hmm. And he only spoke in terms of things that, I could do or get or I remember one time we were doing a scene and it was like a, a, a night shoot and it was like four in the morning and I was exhausted and and he kept trying to get me to really like it, he wanted it to really be clear that I cared about this it was it was the scene where I I'm just really fighting to not move like I don't want to move away from, right from it right, right. I want I don't want to go live with him and and at one point he was just like okay what do you care about and I was like, I said some things and he was like, okay, that's what the scene's about. It was really revolutionary for me because it was like, wow, okay. It doesn't matter what it is. I just have to fight for something. Right. And he really just wanted to bring that out of me. 
Well, you said there was another scene, I think, that on the page was maybe the most daunting, but when you actually went to do it, actually turned out not to be, and yeah. that's where your character essentially has a panic yeah, attack. Yeah, yeah, the free, the how, how did shoot. you guys get through that? He gave me some, he even started, like, doing the scene before we started, and he was like, <laughs> okay, and then he start, he, like, opened the freezer and started breathing really heavily, and he was like, <laughs> whoa, like, I just... He was like, see, even then I'm summoning a lot of emotion. And I was like, wow, Kenny, that's really cool. Um, good for you. Uh, now I have to do it. I was anticipated it a lot, and we did a bunch of takes, and it was getting there slowly but surely. And and then we ran out of time, and Casey was, I was, like, really disappointed. And then Casey was like, you, ha you guys have to give them more time. They gave us more time. And what happened was I was, like, kind of, experimented with just like not speaking with anyone the whole day mm -hmm. and then it really caused a lot of turmoil in me and and it all came out yeah that's so, a great scene yeah. yeah you know it's obviously a very dark story that the film centers on but you in some ways <laughs> part of what made it such a pleasure to when you were on screen is that even though your character is also dealing with plenty of shit there's sort of this element of comic relief that we're not getting yeah, elsewhere right yeah and it's it was very interesting because at the time i even when we were making the movie i wasn't aware of how funny it was or how funny the right. character was written right because dry humor is not a part of my upbringing it's something <laughs> and the character is just dry as oh, yeah. hell he's so dry right but i i was even like really confused at when at the it's just kenny's brilliance yeah. oh my god he's so brilliant but when we were wa watching Manchester, it was like all these laughs. Yes. I was like, where are they coming this from? This is at Sundance, first yeah, time seeing Sundance, it? Yeah, yeah. So before Sundance, though, even, when you're watching Casey in particular work, a guy who's, what, maybe 15 years older or something like that, who started young as well and giving what would end up being an Oscar-winning yeah. performance— was there a major takeaway from seeing how he worked that you were able to, what impressed you the most, even if you didn't end up yeah. kind of incorporating it into your own process? I think the thing that makes Casey so mesmerizing is how little he cares about what I struggle with is, is having the right take on things. And Casey's sort of just like, sometimes I see him in a movie and I'm like, when I watched ghost, a ghost story, I was mm -hmm. like, at times I was like, is he about to fall asleep? <laughs> But like I say, I, the reason why I think that's amazing is because to be an actor and to be able to be so loose and relaxed and so almost able to like drift away is it's mesmerizing to watch because I typically all I, I see so many actors who are just like they're so aware that be, they're being watched and Casey's not one of those people. So a lot of what I learned from him, I think, was just seeing like some it was just like being able to witness something. Right. That, I'd never seen before. Interesting. Well, let's talk about you finish Manchester and just a few different things happen at that point. First of all, just on a lighter note, is it true that you asked the actress who played your girlfriend? Oh, to prom? To prom? Yeah. Yeah, I did ask her. I mean, it was sort of like, yeah, I did. Well, there's and, I, I did. I did. Well, she was like 23 or 24 at the times or 22. I don't know. She was older than me. Right. And then. I think she talked. She said yes, and then she talked to her friends, and they were like, "That's really weird." Ugh. And and then she told me, and I was like, I, "I remember telling Kenny, I was like, yeah, she couldn't come with to prom with me.'" And then when she arrived on set, Kenny was like, "Why'd you 
Why'd you say she, you couldn't go to prom with him? You just told him you could, you could go to prom with him. He made um, it awkward. Yeah, and I was like, Kenny, are you, you kidding me? <laughs> but Kenny... Okay, so that was still during the production. It wasn't yeah, it was, I got yeah it. exactly. Got it. Well, I, I give you credit for going for it. That's oh That takes God, balls. Kenny. Uh, all right, so now movie, I don't know how long it was in post-production, but ends up at Sundance where it is a huge thing and, and gets acquired, I think, there by Amazon, Amazon yeah. for a lot of money, and that put a spotlight on it. Yeah. And then there's this long wait till the fall when they're going to release it. Oh, yeah. And I honestly didn't even... Even then, I was like... I remember... Kevin Walsh, our producer, being like, the Amazon's going to buy it for this much money. Awards campaign, awards campaign, awards campaign. <laughs> and even then, I was like, I don't know what that is. Right. Like, I had cut off, in a way, from what I thought was... Like, I was like, none, none of that is real. And or you felt it would affect you, because I read you thought you were the thing that was going to kill the movie. Oh, to- yeah, I definitely thought that. Well, I saw the movie by myself in a, in a screening room, and I was like... I was very down on myself. And then when I saw it at Toronto mm-hmm. months later, yeah. I was like, huh, oh, maybe I did. I was like, whoa, I was like, I did a good job. <laughs> and then I saw it at New York Film Festival. I was like, I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you um, had plenty of festivals yeah. to reconsider. Yeah. And then that was the last time right. I saw it. <laughs> it honestly was a really slow burn. It was like the slowest burn yeah. of my life. Yeah. What it took for that movie to come out and then for it to slowly like that award season was crazy. Man. Well, can we talk about like what it's like for the first time as a young actor to be in the middle of that, just what it involves. Cause I know I was part of the grind of it from your point of view. I was one of the, I did Q and A's with you guys where I was yeah. my other people, you know, there's things like this podcast, there's a million things. Yeah. And I guess people might assume that it's all just kind of fun to be the, to be the focus of attention and having to answer a million questions and whatever. But it's a months long thing. You can't often get involved with other things because you have to wait and see what is happening here. Yeah. I know you did work it out that you could go do off Broadway with Yen. Yeah. I think during that. Yeah. But just how did you experience that as the momentum was building for the film and the attention started to come on you? Because I think with the exception of the of the folks at the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, I think every <laughs> other group nominated oh, you yeah. for their yeah. award. It's a very overwhelming time. It was also incredibly exciting. Like, other than the, like, intense anticipation, which is probably the most unpleasant aspect mm-hmm. of it, like, there's just way too much dangling before my face right. that I was like, just give me, give me. Right. I was like, give me all of it. Like, <laughs> that was dangerous to see that part of me and how badly I want, like, I wanted to be validated mm-hmm. in that way, especially because I'd felt so unvalidated at school mm-hmm. so i wanted this sort of like stamp like i wanted like a tattooed on my body right where you could kind of yeah, essentially be, like, be a middle like, finger to your like, everybody teachers. like check me yeah. out like but yeah it was also like a moment of time that i was like again like i was living a fan it, it was like this is i was truly then like brought into the fantasy realm and i was like it was again to use the harry potter analogy it was like we're gonna tap three bricks yeah. we're gonna like this wall is going to disappear and we're going to be in like Diagon Alley. And it felt like at times like the fantasy was coming true. Mm-hmm. And I was meeting all these people I grew up with, the faces, yep. and they liked me. And it was like that it was so overwhelming. Your dad had been through it when he was nominated for, was it about a boy he was nominated for, I think? Yeah. So that would maybe like 14 years earlier. Yeah. And you were throughout this Manchester period still living at home, right? Yeah. So were you able to 
compare notes at all get any was he able to give any advice i mean it's well, also different for writers because yeah, they're not the face of it, it 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 is different i think the only moment of connection we had was like whoa that's like two generations in a in a row and yeah I think it just felt like when we were watching the announcements or whatever i wasn't watching them my mom wasn't mm-hmm. and when i found out i went and watched with her mm-hmm and there was like Jason Reitman appeared and was like talking about how, him and his father. And mm-hmm. I was like, like, whoa, this is a cool tradition. You're talking about the morning they announced the Oscar yeah, nominations. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the trickiness of being nominated does not lie in like, it's amazing to be nominated and to feel that good. The trickiness for me was like a year later, even though I was in all those movies yeah. that got nominated, I was Lady like, Bird, there's a part Bell of me Bell that Bell. was like, I don't know. It's just dangerous getting that level of validation, or because you have like, to really, always then I'm chase just it. Like, I don't. I don't even know. It. I, the standard of what a good year looks like is insane. Right. It's like look at Sam Rockwell, who like worked forty years mm-hmm. or thirty or twenty, twenty, however many years yeah, yeah. to get to where he is. Like that's that's the kind of path I want. Yeah, um, yeah. In my darker moments, I wonder like what being nominated really like gives me mm-hmm. in in terms of. A long-term growth well just for that one last thing about the that manchester era and the awards thing that oscar night you go there you're nominated i'm trying to remember i won you <laughs> i end up winning <laughs> who did win again mahershala, to... mahershala. oh yeah mahershala right i remember moment. for a moment though i was like i think i won like like <laughs> like right before she was like and the oscar goes to or whatever and i yeah. was like oh my god i won <laughs> did you at least you didn't start to get out of your no, seat I people mean, have done that it wasn't it wasn't like that i wasn't like i, wa- I right. wasn't like i was just like for a split second i was like holy shit <laughs> like <laughs> which like i knew wouldn't happen what made but, you like, think you just thought no, that- i think it was just like it's like i don't know if like you ever like the lottery gets read and right it's like it's like the first few numbers. I don't even know. It's just like there was a, a split second where I was like, it could happen. And then right. I was like, it, maybe it happened. <laughs> <laughs> so Mahershala wins there, funny. but Casey and Kenny won. Yeah. You see them both win. Yeah, it was awesome. And then the end of the night, Envelope Gate. Oh, my God. You had a great was seat for history. Insane, so what, all right, So just because I love talking yeah, about please. how did you experience that? What did you think was happening? Well, I just saw they were giving their speeches. And, and then I saw... I think in the background, I saw like somebody like walk really quickly across the <laughs> stage and I was like, what's going on? And then everyone was talking in the audience right. and was like, oh no, I think, and I think maybe my mom said they didn't win or something. <laughs> and I was like, no way. <laughs> but a part of me was like, like, this is unreal. Right. Like, right. I felt like I had, yeah, front row seats to like a really like, like now it was a piece of theater. Right. Like it was like before it was this like show. Right. I don't even know what it was. Like all of a sudden everything became so real. Right. It was exhilarating, man. I was like. <laughs> I was there, but I didn't have as great a seat as you. That was crazy. It was, was insane. Yeah. I think I have a photo actually of, on my f- other phone. Yes. Of all the Moonlight actors walking down the aisle and Ashton Sanders with yes. his like, hand yes. over his head. <laughs> hands over his head. And Trevante is like. Uh, it's so it's so cool that's yeah i feel like that in some ways is going to be the thing that's remembered longer than anything else about that night i mean it certainly is really cool yeah yeah. anyway all right so let's just go through the the following year which is the year between manchester and the current year where you yeah had both lady bird and three billboards so first of all you said lady bird was was first right that yeah well no actually i filmed three billboards three billboards okay but it three i filmed three billboards 
at the very beginning of my summer of freshman year. So it didn't jeopardize my ability to go back. And Got then it. Lady Bird, I had to choose. And, and three billboards, you're playing Francis McDormand's son. Yeah. And by the way, that's a nice little streak of, you can argue, Kids, you're right? the, well, but playing the person yeah. opposite somebody who wins an Oscar yeah, for their right. work with you. So I think yeah. you can claim a chunk of credit for oh, Casey yeah. and uh, Francis. But so there was that one where you're basically just, you know, the pissed off son of a woman who's grieving also, right? Yeah. And from her, my sense is she's a pretty unconventional actress as well. Just Oh, totally. Yeah. And somebody who really, like, over the course of her career has trafficked in, like, claiming her own independence, yeah. which is, again, like, my... A lot of the people I idolize most in this world are the people who are, like, really punk in that way. You know, I have I have a kind of my own personal fascination with the Marilyn Mansons of mm-hmm. the world, the people who go on talk shows and look like present themselves as the very opposite Mm -hmm. of what society would champion Mm -hmm. and as somebody who really wants to to be the most liked person like Mm -hmm. i I can't i can't even begin to tell you what it means to see somebody like that or Mm -hmm. i want to think about like people like tim and eric who these you know these guys so when they went and promoted their movie at sundance they do the most or when they they've even been on like more like Good Morning like Austin. Yeah. The way they promote their movie is so brilliant to me because it's so does not accom it's not they're not there to accommodate anyone other than themselves and it doesn't it's not like selfish it's right. just so so Francis just that yeah, she Francis doesn't is, give a shit. Uh, she, yeah. she falls in line with those yeah. people, you know. Um and she also is somebody who went to school, trained to act, and I was really lost when we were filming, and she helped me. And How'd she help you? She helped me, again, put it into terms of, like, okay, this isn't about emotion. It's 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 about... She even wor- studied under the teacher that my teacher at school was teaching the method of. So we were doing the Gister method. Okay. And when I brought it up to her, she was like, oh, you call it the Gister method? When I was at school, we just called it Earl's class. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So I was like word yeah i'm doing earl's class with francis like yeah so that was that was really great to work with her and then you go into ladybird where it's greta's directorial debut you said she knew you from seeing manchester at sundance i guess is it true that the way it was presented to you was like you can pick either of these two young men either the one that you played or the one that timothy ended up playing yeah. So why'd you pick Probably the one last you time I'll have that opportunity over to <laughs> me. Um, I felt like I connected immediately to what I saw on the page. And it felt like shoes that I could really easily fit into. It felt like right out of, right in my wheelhouse. Right. And I'm all for the character that's like, ooh, that's not the obvious choice. But it didn't feel like this was the obvious choice right. I wanted to jump for. Yeah. Is it purely coincidental that so many of the films in which you've appeared were either directed by fellow actors, so Tim Blake Nelson, Anesthesia, Greta with Lady yeah. Bird, Joel yeah. Edgerton, Boy Race, Jonah Hill, mid-90s, yeah. or in the case of an upcoming movie, Honey Boy, written yeah, by a fellow exactly. actor, Shia LaBeouf. I don't know how, why it's worked out like this. Just the coincidence, you think? Well, I don't know. I can't... I'm definitely not, like, just seeking them right, out, right, you right. know? But for whatever reason, I'm... This is how it's panning yeah. out. Yeah. And do you feel that having also worked, obviously, with non-actor directors, are actor directors able to do things that, you know, help you, direct you in a way that others can't? 
Like, are they? Is there an advantage to working? With well, it, that's where it really varies person to person. Yeah. You know, actors really aren't one. There are like a million different things. I think the the advantage an actor director has over a director is that actor directors have worked with dozens of directors. Directors only have themselves right. as references. Right. So Greta sort of was like an amalgamation of like of how she directed was like an amalgamation of like Noah, Mike Mills, right. like her own thing. Mm-hmm. But she just like was able to pick and choose what what she liked. Jonah's the same way. And Joel is like really somebody who just loves actors mm-hmm. and wants it gives the actors the free reins but there were things that he was like okay like jeff nichols did this for me mm-hmm. and that was really helpful so i'm gonna offer you the mm-hmm. same so yeah I, I i really like working with actor directors all right so for the home stretch here we're good let's tackle 2018 it's not even mm-hmm. over and you've done three films jesus and one broadway production yeah some of them are still i think rolling out in parts of the country right i don't know that for instance Mid nineties or Ben is back is everywhere yet. Maybe I'm wrong about um, that, but I don't. Well, Ben is back isn't isn't out. Period. Right. But mid nineties is that still expanding? I'm not positive. But it's I October. Mean, well, ben is back though. I think for let's. I mean for sure there we've got to tee it up for people because I can't assume that they yes. know what we're talking about. Yeah. So Ben is back is. You're playing young man who's been in recovery from heroin addiction for yeah. 77 days. Returns home on Christmas Eve ostensibly because he's been told he's well enough to do yeah, that or he feels he is he feels he yeah. is and then we follow him over the course of one day that's you and then your mother is played by somebody people may have heard of, <laughs> julia roberts and the writer and director of this is my peter dad. hedges do you know what inspired him to write a film about this topic i heard philip seymour hoffman was a good friend yeah maybe. well there's actually this great my dad showed me recently this photo of philip seymour hoffman holding my older brother yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he was uh like two right but philip seymour hoffman's my dad's favorite actor and i think that took a toll on him were they they were friends obviously friend, also, yeah. Friend, yeah i think they were friends i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't go like far I, he wouldn't be like yeah philip my best friend right you know, they, right they knew each other right. um but addiction is a very big thing in our family, and my dad's mother struggled a lot with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. But there are some people whose lives have been, in our immediate circle, mm-hmm. have really been threatened by mm-hmm. um, yep. drug addiction. So yep. this was a very important story for him, and I didn't think I would want to be a part of it. But when I read the script, he didn't even give it to me to consider. It mm-hmm. was just like because he knew I wouldn't want to do it. Why him. would you not want to do it? Just de- the the idea of working with my dad seemed way really uncomfortable, and I made it clear to him. Not even like it was not even like please can I. He wasn't like please can I work right. with you, and I was like no, dad, like leave me alone. It but was it would like, be uncomfortable because what you were afraid that people would think this is just nepotism or something. No, just because it's uncomfortable. It's already uncomfortable enough to like have Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> like making a movie is the the most difficult thing in the world. Like to be doing it with your dad is like. I don't know. It's just too much. It's too much to to handle. But that was what I thought before we did it. And then the more I entertained it, the more I was like, huh, okay, maybe if I turn some of these thoughts around, there's an opportunity here. So I heard Julia Roberts might have tipped the scale to some extent. Yeah, she she definitely didn't hurt my desire of doing it. But But I mean, even from her to your dad, was she saying what I've heard that she's been saying is that she was leaning on your dad to make sure that you did it. Yeah, I think she really wanted that to happen. And that was, I was like, sometimes when I don't know 
somebody like makes a decision for me and I'm like, I mean, I was going to do the movie, but right. it was like, she really wants me. Like I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so how does one who has not been a drug addict oneself, I assume, I believe, prepare to play someone who yeah. is that deeply into it? Well, as you can probably tell from this podcast, I'm very self-involved in my own occasional self-hatred. Like, that's a very big part of my life, and I think that is the common theme between any drug addict or alcoholic of anybody who relies on substances to Mm -hmm. self-soothe. That is why. It's Mm -hmm. because they don't know how to be with themselves. So I feel that that's my thing. For whatever reason, my escape isn't substances. Mm -hmm. It's much more of about, about being liked and a, a more of a validation thing, but it's so it's not as much of a stretch simply mm-hmm. because I don't have those. I'm not drawn towards these things, mm-hmm. but I went to a lot of AA and NA meetings and just tried to understand what his bottoms had looked mm-hmm. like and and what recovery really looks like. How does that work? They you get a kind of clip approval in advance, like from people that are in recovery, yeah. and they well, say- it it I have people who are very close to me who are in these programs mm-hmm. and who I went with. I, mean, I tried not to go to any, I mean, I didn't go to any, I went to only open meetings. Yeah, yeah. I, I just felt like I'd, I didn't want to be in there and, and say I was, you know, belonged where I, I, I didn't want to lie. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're very, they take these things very seriously. Yeah. So yeah. And then when I felt like I, I heard a story that I was like, wow, that feels very similar. I was very transparent with yeah. the people I wanted to talk to and said, would you, do you want to have lunch or something? Yeah, and yeah. and that's, that was my way in. I don't know if you saw this, but my colleague at The Hollywood Reporter, this guy, Chris Gardner, who wrote, and so therefore I feel like I can share this with you. He's written openly recently about the fact that he, for you know a good number of years after starting out as a pretty successful journalist in Hollywood, then fell into drug issues badly and left wow. the scene for a few years and has worked his way back and, and is doing great again. But he wrote an article recently saying about, you know, what it's been like for him to see this season of movies in which addicts of one sort or another are portrayed on screen. Ben is back, Beautiful Boy, wow. Stars Born, mm. and others. And one of the things that he said in that article, which I encourage people to read, was about Ben is back. He said, quote, the 12 step meeting featured in the film is the most authentic one you'll see, close quote. And I think he's not oh, talking that's great. just that you guys got that. I wondered for you whether if it was that scene or or another that you felt was sort of the trickiest to pull off. I mean, I think the biggest stretch for me is the movie goes into a kicks into another gear. And I think it was less a stretch for me to be in that meeting as it was going to sort of the darker places Mm -hmm. of being a drug dealer is something that I was like, okay, those were the aspects of the film that daunted me Mm -hmm. more because I don't, it's not as easy for me to just pull off from Mm -hmm. where I'm at right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So those were the, the things that, that were on my mind. Yeah. And so as you look back at the whole making of that movie and the fact that you did overcome your hesitation about doing a movie with your dad just a few things i think your dad maybe with the hollywood did a something with the hollywood reporter that i read where he was saying one technique that may have been employed was you didn't call him dad during the making movie yeah yeah, no i didn't so what did you call him i called him pete and that was (laughs) called him pete hammond (laughs) (laughs) we're covering all my competitors on this podcast 
<laughs> but what's the the rationale is that's a journalist joke i think that is, we got it yeah people, a lot of people are gonna be like what, what? <laughs> well chris tapley same but yeah. uh but the idea there is just for your own sake to create a separation or to send an idea to the other actors and people on set i think for everything i you know i didn't I really didn't want people to waste any energy on the fact that I was his son, or I am his son. The fact that I used to be his son. Um, <laughs> you resigned. Yeah. No, I just didn't, you know, I, I, I was already, so much of my brain naturally goes there, so I just felt like if I just t eliminated that, the more ever, more it would just become, resemble any other film set. And right. I would rather go to work in that environment than... Were you still living at home? Yeah, so but we filmed it in White Plains, so I was staying in a... We were all staying in a hotel, okay. so I wasn't... But we like did go I, home and do Christmas. Pete, do a lap around the block before yeah. you pick me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or drop me off down the street. Right. So, so nobody sees that I'm right. entering with you. We did have a, a break for Christmas yep. in the middle of shooting, and we spent that break together, which yep. was odd, but we made it work. Right. And then just, I think, because this speaks to your commitment to the craft why were you not able to be at the toronto international film festival world i'm doing a play the waverly gallery yes. and we hadn't even moved into the theater yet and i was i mean i was i, I was doing this trey edward schultz movie called waves a little too close for to comfort before i entered into the waverly gallery so yes. i really like my weekend my days off were filled with i didn't they were not days off they were filled with me for trying to catch up yeah trying to catch up for lost time I felt like if I went, not only would I miss a day of rehearsal, I would, two days would be filled with press. I wouldn't have any time to run lines mm. or work on the script. And I really needed that time. And I I wasn't really worried about missing Boy Raced and mid-90s as much as I was Ben is back just because I missed my dad and I wanted to be there with him. And and he was really supportive. So, yeah, yeah so he, he really greenlit it sure. all the way. All right, so... Boy Race, this film about gay conversion therapy, which is something not everyone knows even exists. Yeah. Uh, and, but it's in dozens of states in America. Yeah. Inspired by a memoir directed by and co-starring Joel Edgerton. What was the draw for you to this one? Well, I loved the book. I really loved Garrett's voice. I felt like the book was a blueprint to his inner world, and, and I'd never had that access to that much mm -hmm. material before. So I thought it would make my job a little easier. And and I also felt like, okay, now here's an opportunity to be a part of a story that is in service of something bigger than me. It's not, you know, Manchester. There's All these movies are artistically so valid mm -hmm. and are in service of something, mm -hmm. but it's, much, it's so much more obvious right, what right. this movie's in service of. So it was like, okay, here's an opportunity for me to, to take it out to take the pressure off of myself and put it on to what can I serve? So having prepped by spending some time with Garrett, the guy whose yeah. memoir inspired this, and maybe doing other forms of prep, which you, I'll leave it to you if you want to bring in, I guess my question is who is the movie for? Is it sort of who are you guys hoping to reach with this? Well, it's really not about preaching to the converted. Mm -hmm. Joel tried to make sort of like an art house film that for middle America in a way that like anybody can see it. And really uh, he didn't want to alienate anyone. He just wanted to tell a true story about a family trying to make sense of the hand they've been dealt. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I, I think in an ideal world, in my mind, parents perhaps of 
children who parents who would want to send their kids to these programs would see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the tough thing is I, I, you know, I doubt you're going to, I mean, hopefully that's what having like an actor like Russell Crowe or Nicole Kidman does to it is like, you know, maybe the, 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 the parents who saw gladiator and were like, hell yeah, I love this guy. We'll, we'll go see it. And and maybe they, their minds will be changed. You know, have you heard yet from, has it been out long enough for, and wide enough for people yet to have seen it and reach out to you to say that it's affected me personally because of things? I don't have social media, Ah, so I don't know how they would. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't really heard from people, but I Mm -hmm. I see that as being the reason why. I mean, I, I I go to events and I speak to people there and I've heard feedback then, but no, I don't have a means of. Right. Yeah. Last thing about Boy Race is in a recent interview with Vulture, you chose to speak for the first time about your own orientation. And if I just briefly can quote, you said that you find yourself somewhere on a, quote, spectrum, close Mm -hmm. quote. And the fuller part was, quote, not totally straight, but also not gay and not necessarily bisexual, close quote. What convinced you to share that information at that time as opposed to, say, a year earlier when you're doing Lady Bird where you're playing a closet guy? And what sort of response have you received to that? Yeah. I feel like there are moments when it's not really my job as an artist to make it about me. I feel like sometimes I try to just support the material. In Mm -hmm. this particular instance, I felt like the subject matter was so overtly about what it means to have a certain sexuality or to to identify as something that's not like immediately acceptable in the world. And I felt like after having played this part, it didn't seem right for me not to be transparent, you know. Was it that scary having to said, have to get into that? I mean, it really doesn't feel like the biggest thing either yeah. in many ways. I I feel like also a lot of what I'm expressing probably is what most people identify with, just haven't been given the opportunity to express themselves in, 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 in an honest way. I just... I think what's exciting about the direction the world's heading in is that it, things are less black and white. And I just don't find these sort of very confining terms as being helpful or, I guess, progressive in, in many ways. Yeah. Did Joel know already? When you were brought into this part, I wondered if it was even something you shared with Joel. No. Well, I mean, I, I probably, actually. it wasn't, But it wasn't like, you know, Joel, like, this is true about me. I think it was what was clear is that I felt like I, I feel like I have a very compl- complex relationship with myself and Joel trusted that we would be able to tell the story. And I'm, I bet it Joel, Joel wasn't he's not necessarily one of those directors who's like, let's just like share everything about our lives mm-hmm. and work from there. I know those people and I appreciate working with those people, but right. it wasn't this particular process. Right. Third of the three movies is. Oh Jonah Hill's mid-90s. <laughs> <laughs> You're playing Ian, the yeah. physically abusive older brother of the protagonist, this younger kid who's getting into the skateboard community. I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like it's your first time playing an asshole. Moonrise Kingdom, yeah, I was a yeah, bit yeah. like that. But, I mean, that's sort of – it's my first that's time playing an asshole in, like, a, a world that is, like – is it's like in like a, a a real in like a hyper realist like Wes right. Anderson's world is more of a stylized like it doesn't necessarily exactly resemble reality right. so this this is more like that and yeah. did you have to figure out in your own mind why is this guy so angry and mean to the younger brother and how do you as an actor convey that without being kind of one note 
Yeah, definitely what I was thinking about. I think when whenever I, I look to a dynamic that I don't feel like I immediately understand, I turn to my relationship with myself mm -hmm. because I don't outwardly treat people like that. Mm -hmm. That having been said, that doesn't say anything about what I'm, what actually goes on in my mm -hmm. head. And, and I think this whole idea that like, if you're not mean to people, mm -hmm. then you're not a mean person mm -hmm. or that suddenly you're a good person is like, is actually kind of bullshit. Like I know a lot of really amazing people who are, not really trustworthy at all. And, and I think what I saw as the opportunity here was to like express a part of myself that really doesn't get the time of day mm -hmm. or I don't allow it to be voiced out of fear of being a mean person. Right, right, you know? right. Waverly Gallery, you're back. Well, this is first time on Broadway, yeah. which is an amazing yeah. thing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Saw it Wednesday on, at the matinee. It's a very powerful thing. And just to give a little, I'm trying to do a log line of, of it for people who may be coming to New York. Yeah, yeah. How much longer are you? We go through January 28th, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So it's a autobiographical thing for yeah, Kenny. Kenny. It's true. Pretty much again. true story, yeah. And you're essentially playing Kenny yeah, as a young man <laughs> where his grandmother, who's played by Elaine May, who's amazing, 86 years old, hadn't done yeah. Broadway in 50 plus years, yeah. comes back and is playing a woman who's, I guess, descending into, would we say dementia or Alzheimer's? Oh, yeah, or Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Yeah. And we talked about the fact that it's a compliment to be asked back by Kenny yeah. at all, something that has also happened with your co-star, Michael Sarah, who's yeah, I've third, time, third right. time. I've seen the others with This Is Our Youth and Lobby Hero recently. Lobby yeah. Hero. But from each of those co-stars, I guess, somebody who's been doing it for as long as Elaine May has, and then somebody who has been in the Kenny program for as long as Michael has, what have you been able yeah. to take away from that? I'm sort of in the camp right now that like, I, ca I can't really take that much from observation. I'm sort of like why I like theater is that I get to just do it again and again and again from me. You know, it's what I do take from being with them is that I genuinely love, I genuinely love our company. Mm -hmm. We really, we just really get along. Like for example, the other day, we all we created a a playlist of all of our ten favorite songs, and it's in like we have fifty songs where that's just like a, sort of like a little microcosm of the heart of the show yeah. in a way. Do you remember what Elaine's favorite song is? Yeah, well, she's oddly one of her favorites is this song called you know Sweet Sweet Dreams by yeah, the Eurythmics. Eurythmics. Yeah, it was like when I asked her one day during rehearsal what her favorite song was, and she was like, "I really like this song." It's like I didn't expect you wow, to say that. Yeah, um, Lennox, yeah, but. Yeah, she also loves, loves Hit the Road, Jack, yeah. Your Smiling Face, James Taylor. It's a really great, great list. But I guess, do you look at her and say, I can see myself at age 86 oh God. still doing this? I honestly can't say I see what she does as being humanly possible in my experience. <laughs> I don't know how she amazing. does it. Eight times a week. I've never seen her do the same thing twice either, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Insane. I mean, it's the most unfathomable part on paper. And yeah. She's like truly effortlessly bringing it to life. And you're enjoying it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I love, I love doing it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing yeah. this, and and thank congrats. you for it's having been me. Fun. I really, yeah, I really appreciate treat. you. I appreciate you. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. 
If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.